group and host of volunteers. Now, the ministry has grown there in the last couple of years since Joyce came on board as the executive director, and they have extended their footprint of people they service beyond the Nordonia Hills area. They also serve the needs of residents in Twinsburg, Richfield, uh, Boston Heights. The need has grown over the years where they're servicing right now over 700 clients a month who are in need of food, clothing, or even hygiene products. And they always serve every person who comes through the door with a smile that reflects the love of Christ. A person can select what they want according to the guidelines that are established. And they also get free meat and bread. The Emergency Assistance Center has partnerships with churches in the area and businesses throughout greater Cleveland. And all without one dollar of government grants or assistance. Everything they do is from donations. And the selfless efforts of 60 volunteers who show up every week. They're making a difference in the community to thwart hunger and to provide a lifeline to help those overcome poverty. Joyce and the staff readily admit that without all of the volunteers, they could never keep up with demand to maintain the ministry. There's just no way they could do it. And they absolutely believe that God is in the midst of all of it and that he is the one who is to be glorified. Amen? Amen. Now, here is one more way that kingdom work, kingdom work is going on for the glory of God and giving credit where credit is due. God deserves the glory for it. The testimony to others is in the sharing of the love of Christ. Now, notice how this and all other Acts in the heart and soul of ministry begin with our collective efforts of service and duty for the kingdom. Our collective efforts. We're the ones that are serving the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's our duty to do so in the kingdom. And yet, we see how people sincerely attribute their efforts to God. In other words, we wouldn't be able to do it unless God enabled us to do it. Amen? Nothing that happens, happens without God being in the midst of it. Even though we're the ones who are moving things around, we're the ones doing things, God is the one who is in the midst of it. God is the one who is to be glorified. When we see testimonies like this, we know that God's in the center of it. In order to be able to see God truly at work in your life, sometimes you have to take a step backward in order to move several steps forward. Take a step back in order to move forward. Please turn to James chapter 4, and we're going to look at a verse, and we're going to look at a verse as far as the proper context of the verse. And understand that this message is about really seeing 
even in the work that you're doing, the work that you're involved in, we must have the proper perspective in order to see God truly working and being glorified. So in James chapter 4, you're going to look at verse 10. Now this is one of those verses that you must look at the proper context of the verse, and we'll do that as we go forward. But James chapter 4, verse 10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. question I have is, exalt you in what way? Now, you'll know where I'm going with this as I start asking these questions. Is He going to exalt you by giving you fame and fortune? Maybe, but it's highly unlikely. Is he going to exalt you by giving you a bigger house or car? Maybe, but it's highly unlikely. If you're entertaining these thoughts about getting bigger and better, looking for the Lord to exalt you when you humble yourself, You're missing the point. You're missing the point. In the context of the verse, the act of humbling yourself means having a serious approach to who God is when you consider your overall unworthiness before Him. Go up to verse 1 of James chapter 4. And let's look at what it has to say. When we talk about humbling yourself, you really do need to humble yourself before God. Verse 1 says, What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from the cravings that are at war within you? When you get into a fight with someone, it's all about you. And it's all about you being better than the other person. I don't care what kind of fight it is. It could be a fight in grade school, high school, fights among adults. It's all about you. It's all about your attitude. Verse 2, you desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war You do not have because you do not ask. You think you're going to make something happen on your own and leave God out of it. But you don't have anything. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. So that you may spend it on your evil desires. Look at verse 4. Adulteresses. That sets the tone for that whole paragraph. That's what God sees when he sees people acting ugly. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. Amen? 
Verse 5, or do you think it's without reason the scripture says that the spirit who lives in us yearns jealously? Now, notice he's talking to believers. The spirit is dwelling within them, which means they have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And yet here's all this ugly going on. Now, those of us, without digressing here much, we run into people who are believers in Jesus Christ. We may have even seen them acknowledge they're believers in Jesus Christ. And we'll see some fruits every now and then. But sometimes we have the most trouble in relationships with folks who say they're believers. Which makes no sense whatsoever. And yet, there it is. Which sends conflicting messages sometimes, doesn't it? Lord, they say they follow you. And yet, here's all this hullabaloo. Here's all this rigmarole. Here's all this garbage that we have to keep dealing with. Something to keep in mind. But yet, we're reading here that when our own flesh gets involved, the spirit is quenched. And quenched hard. Thankfully, there's verse 6. But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 7. Therefore, submit to God, but resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, double-minded people. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Your laughter must change to mourning and your joy to sorrow. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Now you see the proper context. You ain't all that is what God is saying to you, especially if you're not following him. True humility is repenting of your sin. True humility is not being double-minded in your way of thinking. God wants to see more from you than someone who talks a good game. We got all kinds of folks that can talk about how close they are to the Lord. Yes, I've done this over here. Yes, I've done this over here. Yeah, da, 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 da. He wants to see more from you than just talking a good game. Because you talking a good game to us is not impressing him. To make yourself look better before somebody else. Now, this is not an indictment against anyone in particular, because I want you to understand that it really is an indictment against all of us when it comes to our faith. Because we've been double-minded. We've been these adulteresses that are referred to in verse 4 when it comes to true obedience and following Jesus. 
He wants to see how you are truly following him. And it's not in what you say or in how much you are doing for him. A lot of people think just by doing good stuff, volunteering, working in a food pantry, giving for charity, they think that's good enough to have a relationship with God. Well, we'll see about that. Please turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. One thing we need to see is, first of all, when it comes to even something as simple as going to church every Sunday and the act of worship and praise, there really does need to be a reverence. Now, it's all well and good that we all get together as a group and we fellowship and glad hand and shake hands and encourage each other. That is a given and that's something we should be doing in the faith. Amen? Nothing wrong with that. Encourage each other. But now, when it comes right down to the time of worship, there needs to be a special approach that each of us has to have when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ. Look at what it says in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Now, that sets the tone. Guard your steps. You're paying attention to what you're doing and what's on your mind. Better to draw near in obedience than than to offer the sacrifice as fools do. For they ignorantly do wrong. Those are pretty tough words. And when we talk about sacrifice, you know, there's normally a thing about sacrifice in church as far as sacrificing. In the old days, it was the blood animals, whatever. Today, what do we do? Give a sacrifice of what? Praise, a sacrifice of worship, sacrifice of testimony, whatever those things are. We are dying to self, living for Christ in a true manner, not just doing it to make an impression on others. You understand what I'm saying here? Let's go on further. Do not be hasty to speak and do not be impulsive to make a speech before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. Now, that's a humble approach. Do you get that? Don't go running off with your mouth saying to God, blah, 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 you know, without putting some real thought into it and making sure that what you're praying about is appropriate. In other words, check yourself. Check yourself. You have to use the language of today for people to understand, apparently. So, Check out what you're doing. Verse 3, For dreams result from much work and a fool's voice from many words. Notice the word fool has been mentioned here a couple of times. And it implies the person who just can't shut up. When it comes to saying things that are inappropriate. Choose your words wisely. Put the proper reverence on what you're doing in church. Don't get up and make a testimony in church if it's all about you. 
That's what this is about. Don't get up in church and make a testimony if it's all about you. You think you're making yourself look good. Go to 1 Samuel 15. We actually looked at this verse in Sunday school. 1 Samuel 15, verses 22 and 23. And we talked about how it's important for us to now focus on what God sees as the most important thing when it comes to your relationship with Him. In service, in prayer, in reverence, the most important thing is going to be what we're going to read here in this passage. Samuel is talking to Saul. It says, then Samuel said, does the Lord, verses 22 and 23 in 1 Samuel 15, does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams, for rebellion is like the sin of divination and defiance is like wickedness and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. There's a consequence when you're not obedient to God. Obedience is everything in your relationship with Christ. Everything. No getting around it. No shortcuts. No bypasses. No detours. Obedience is everything. And that's between you and Jesus Christ. And you alone. Note that your success in Christ has nothing to do with your own thought process, your own ways of reasoning, your own way of thinking. All of these originate in the flesh. Your reasoning is only in the flesh. There's no other place it comes from. There's no other where places being derived from other than your flesh. Your way of reasoning, your way of thinking is always in the flesh. Always. It was in the flesh before you became a believer. And it's in the flesh after you become a believer. In order to take steps forward in your faith, and in your ministry before others, you need to take a step back and humble yourself before him. Take a step back and humble yourself before him. If you choose not to humble yourself, you render yourself useless in the kingdom. Amen? You, if you don't humble yourself before him, you render yourself useless in the kingdom. Now, how can that be? Well, let's talk about this. Here's a point of controversy for you. Now, I'm not saying with that last comment that you can't do anything without Jesus. You could do some things, and not follow Jesus. You can do a lot of things for that matter. Now, what do I mean by that? 
You can do many things like give to charity, work in the food kitchen, work in the soup kitchen, serve meals for people. Even see results. People being fed, people being given these things that they need at a time when they really need it. But you need to be sure that you understand what those accomplishments mean according to God's ways and God's standards and not your own. What do those accomplishments mean according to God's ways and God's standards? Yeah, you're helping folks. You're doing good work, right? You're reaching people. But if you're doing so without a humble heart, that means you're doing it in the flesh. You've got your own standards. But how do your standards measure up to God's standards? How do your standards measure up to God's standards? Turn to Isaiah 55. I'm going to read to you verses 8 and 9. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. But one thing we have to start with is that when we start believing that we are so special as people, when we start believing that we are so together, we're doing all this stuff, we've got to go back and look at what Isaiah says about that, what God says about how you think and how he thinks. And you can't compare the two. Because in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So in other words, the way you think and the way he thinks, he is so far above where you think you are, there's no comparison. And we forget this stuff. We forget that it is a blessing to be able to serve for God, serve others before God, that you are being blessed in doing so. Not like, I'm the super Christian, I'm doing this stuff because God wants me to. That is all in your flesh when you talk like that. You can do something without Jesus. Yep, you can do something. But in the end, it amounts to nothing. In the end, it amounts to nothing. And I'm talking about the service that you do without the reverence and obedience. Here's a great verse. Isaiah 64, 6. Turn to that. Isaiah 64, 6. This is going to be one of those opportunities where if you had a Greek-Hebrew Bible, you will see in this verse, this is a verse that we've read before or seen before, you've seen it before on your own, but it will shock you when you look at the Hebrew word that's inserted in this passage. Isaiah 64, 6. I'll be reading again from the English Standard Version. We have all become like one who is unclean. 
And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. That's what it says in the English Standard Version. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Now, Isaiah was writing about the so-called righteous deeds of the Israelites. But he was stating in reality that they were nothing more than junk before God because of their hypocrisy. So-called righteous deeds. They're doing the work. They're doing things, but because they were hypocritical, it was junk. But let's go further. This verse is commonly known as the filthy rags verse. Many of you have filthy rags in there where it says polluted garment. I looked it up on gotquestions.org and it notes that the word filthy is a translation of the Hebrew word idda, I-D-D-A-H. Do you know what that word means? That word literally means the bodily fluids from a woman's menstrual cycle. That's what it means. I told you. I tried to warn you. But I still blew, blew you up anyway with that. The bodily fluids from a woman's menstrual cycle. That's the Hebrew word, ida. This is how we are to see how God sees our self-centered approach to the good things that we think we're doing. Namely, they are as useless to him as a soiled feminine hygiene product. That's how useless these things are that we do before him. You talk about filthy. Filthy is being kind. There's a reason why he uses that word, though. We are not going to get into a discussion about what you're supposed to do with a soiled feminine hygiene product. The only place that it goes is the trash can. Please don't flush them down the toilet. That part I do know. You throw them in the trash. The things that we think we are doing for the Lord amount to nothing that is worth keeping around. You get that? We think we're doing something. But this is how God sees it. That's what I want you to see. It all comes down to thinking more of yourself than you really should be when you are outside of God's will and live in disobedience to him. Now, here's another example, since we're going to do equal opportunity. Go to Jeremiah 13, and we're going to look at an example where it comes to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 13, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. Now that I've shocked everyone to the point of a stupor. But it was a graphic example that a lot of people don't know about. So that's why we're talking about what God sees when you are disobedient to him. You think you're doing something? You're doing just a bunch of stuff that needs to be tossed aside. Jeremiah 13, we're going to read through verses 1 through 11. 
This is what the Lord said to me. This is the Lord speaking to Jeremiah. Go and buy yourself a linen undergarment and put it on. This is great. A linen undergarment and put it on, but do not put it in water. So I bought underwear as the Lord instructed me and put it on. Now here we go, underwear. Lord told him to go buy some underwear, goes to the store, buys some Hanes, goes buys, you know, whatever's available at the time that they're selling in the, in the market. Fruit of the loom, whatever. Go put it on. Verse 3, then the word of the Lord came to me a second time. Take the underwear that you bought and are wearing and go at once to the Euphrates and hide it in a rocky crevice. You're going to the Euphrates River. So I went and hid it by the Euphrates as the Lord commanded me. Took his fruit of the looms, took them, put them under a rock, hid them away. Verse 6, a long time later, the Lord said to me, Go at once to the Euphrates and get the underwear that I commanded you to hide there. Verse 7, so I went to the Euphrates and dug up the underwear and got it from the place where I had hidden it, but it was ruined, of no use at all. Can't wear them, all stretched out, probably got holes in them. Although some people, well, never mind. They were ruined. Time to replace them. Then the word of the Lord came to me in verse 8. This is what the Lord says. Just like this, the ruined underwear. Great analogy. I will ruin the great pride of both Judah and Jerusalem. These evil people who refuse to listen to me who follow the stubbornness of their own hearts and who have followed other gods to serve and worship, they will be like this underwear of no use at all. Just as underwear clings to one's waist, so I fastened the whole house of Israel and of Judah to me. This is the Lord's declaration so that they might be my people for my fame, praise and glory, but they would not obey. I don't think you can say it any better than that. With something so simple as underwear. How God feels about his people. But notice how he says, for his glory. For his purpose, the nation, they are fastened to me just like underwear fastens to your waist. That's pretty close. But yet they were disobedient. Without obedience, your works amount to nothing. If Jesus is not in it, it isn't worth doing it. If Jesus is not in it, you've received your prize for your effort. Go to Matthew 6, and let's take a look at that. Matthew chapter 6. Understand that, yes, you can do things for people. You can do stuff. But if you're not obedient to the Lord... 
your reward will be very temporal. It's right there in front of you. It doesn't mean that God has anything to do with it. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, it says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people. Now, practicing your righteousness means you're doing it on your own accord. You're the one showing yourself to be righteous when the only one who can make you righteous is Jesus Christ. If you're the one doing it on your own accord, you're practicing your righteousness before others so you can, people can see how wonderful you are. Blow kisses to you. Say you're doing all this great stuff. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Verse 2. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you. <laughs> don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be applauded by people. Here we go. This is one of the most dangerous things about preaching a sermon. Sometimes you just have stuff that just comes to you. Sometimes it's not always the best stuff. But for those of you who remember the movie Car Wash, anybody remember the movie Car Wash? And you remember the reverend who was being played by Richard Pryor? I forget his name now, but he was coming up in his big fancy car, had these women riding with him, talking about praise the Lord, you know, past the collection plate, whatever it was, like it was a big parade. And everybody's falling all over themselves for this guy. Using the name of the Lord pretty much in vain. I think he had a gold Cadillac, which back then was a big deal. For some of us, you know, we, we, we get a white Cadillac, but, you know, gold now, a gold Cadillac. That was a humorous reference, but it's really a sad reference, too. Because unfortunately, <laughs> we see stuff like this in real life today. It just takes a different form. Don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues on the streets to be applauded by people. I assure you, they've got their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So this means basically when you're doing all this stuff that you're doing, you are humble, you are prayerful, you remain obedient to God in what you're doing. And it shouldn't be a big deal. People don't need to see you be a big deal about this. If you're a big deal, God is not being glorified. If you're the big deal... If you're the big kahuna, if you're the bad dude showing up somewhere doing work, God's not being glorified. God proclaims that your fleshly works on their own merit amount to nothing more than soiled products and ruined underwear. 
Your works are only justified when you are justified in your humble relationship. Humble relationship. Humble relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Your works will be seen as fruits of the Holy Spirit when you humble yourself before Him. If you're humbling yourself, the Spirit's going to work in your life. Your fruits will be very evident. People will see them. Only then will He exalt you. Amen? Then He'll exalt you. And it'll be in such a way where you will see the fruits in your efforts and all that you'll be able to do is proclaim, He did it! Jesus did it! God did it! I didn't do anything! That's what you're going to do if you're really being humble. He did it! God did it! I'm just a vessel. God did it! How connected are you with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Just as we cannot live without an heir supply, we cannot be fruitful in the world and even within the body of Christ without the presence of the Holy Spirit. You've got to let the Spirit work in your life. Spirit has to be working. We talked about this in Sunday school about the vine and the branches. Go to John chapter 15, just as a refresher for that. It's one of the best examples about the Holy Spirit working in your life when you look at the connection between the verses here about God, Jesus Christ, and the vine and the branches. It reflects the necessity of one very important element in our actions as we exist within a loving relationship with Jesus Christ has everything to do with obedience to his word, his commands, and his will. This verse, these verses all talk about abiding in Jesus Christ, remaining in his will, being obedient to his word. Plain and simple. He wants you to see the value of the relationship. Look what it says in verses 1 through 8 of John 15. You're going to be fruitful in the Spirit before others because you're going to be ministering, Jesus is going to be ministering through you to them if you're obedient, if you're following Him. It says in verse 1, I am the true vine, my Father is the vineyard keeper. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, He removes. And He prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. You can't do nothing without Jesus. Now, verse 5, I am the vine, you're the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this. Look at that. My Father is glorified by this. That you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Show everyone you are a believer in Jesus Christ because you're obedient to his word and they see your fruits. 
That's how you make a testimony to make people decide, I want to be a person in Jesus Christ. He's going to be glorified. It's not for your own personal glorification. Now, whether you remain in God or not, whether you remain in Jesus Christ or not, he's not going to desert you. He's not going to forget about you. He encourages us and even fortifies us with his very presence. Now, if you look at Hebrews 13, 5, I'll I'll just read it. Your life should be free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Put your effort in what really matters. He's not going to leave you. And then verse 6 says, Therefore we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Well, with that attitude, you know that you can do everything in Jesus Christ. Now, it may be a difficult task, and you plod through it, and you work, come back to it again, work some more, come back to it again. The bottom line is God is with you throughout the whole process. Just like he says, go bury the underwear, and then a a great time later, come back to the lair. He has lessons to teach us all over time. The lesson is being taught over time. It doesn't happen right away sometimes. We have to be patient. He hasn't left you. He hasn't forgotten about you. Jesus is the vine that allows you to be fruitful in your ministry. Fruitful in your ministry. Without him, you cannot bear good fruit. Amen? Without him, you cannot bear good fruit. The fruit that you bear on your own is rotten. I'll just say it. What you think you're doing on your own is rotten. Doesn't really do anything. And you know what you do with rotten fruit. Rotten fruit has its own meaning too. Rotten fruit gets rancid. Gets stuff all in it. I won't get into graphic. You know what it happens with it. You just throw it out. You don't eat it. Your fruit is rotten without Jesus Christ. He's the one that produces good fruit. Jesus will also prune you in order for you to be fruitful. Pruning sounds a little painful, doesn't it? Pruning sounds painful, and it is. When was the last time that Jesus used his pruning shears on you? When was the last time Jesus used his pruning shears on you? Can you think of it? Do you want to think about it? Was it a moment of discipline? Well, believe it or not, you should be encouraged by the fact that you were indeed shown the way through pruning, through repentance. For repentance means that God loves you and desires to draw you back into fellowship with him. Amen. That's huge. 
If he's using pruning shears on you, you are worth being cared for. That's what that means. You are worth it to him. So if you feel a little bit of pain for the learning experience, that's a blessing. That he loves you that much. To prune you. You deserve that much attention. Your return to fellowship means God is pruning you to return you to fruitfulness. Go to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. And we're going to look at verse 3. Start at verse 3 and look through all the way to verse 11. Folks talk about, I don't want to go through pain. I don't want to go through difficult. I don't want to, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go through anything. Is what, that's not even realistic. If you're living a life like that, I don't want to go through pain. I don't know what planet you just came off of and where you came from. But your life is going to have pain in it. There's going to be difficulty. There's going to be struggles. There's going to be depression. There's going to be depression. There's going to be all kinds of things you have to fight through. But God is with you throughout that entire process. And all of that stuff that we experience is not a waste of time. Not a wasted experience. There's a purpose for it. There's a reason for it. We don't know all the reasons. And we don't need to know all the reasons. The most important thing we need to know is that God loves us enough to keep us through all of that stuff. And bring us to another place. Amen? We don't need to know all the reasons. Ultimately, the reason that we go through is that we can be a testimony before him to other people. Verse 3 in Hebrews 12. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. Amen. Amen. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. That's true, too. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or faint when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Now stop there for a minute. Remember how your parents, when they got used to get ready to put the belt on your behind, would say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Really? This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And I'm thinking in my mind, I don't think so. I think it's going to hurt me a lot. And when I felt that belt hit my behind, it was an experience. No one likes to be disciplined. No one wants to be disciplined. But we need to be disciplined. We need to be disciplined. We need to know how to do the right things and make sure that we're focused on God in ways where we are really being a true testimony to him. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. So it says in verse 7, Endure suffering as discipline. 
God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. In other words, if you are not, if you're just running around doing whatever you want, you don't even belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this verse is saying to you. You're illegitimate children. You're not sons. The sons are the ones who are following the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9. Furthermore, had we, we had natural fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. But he does it for our benefit so that what we can share his holiness. Share in his reward. Verse 11. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Peace and righteousness. Where are those things come from? Those are the fruits of the Spirit. To those who have been trained by it. We all need training. We all need training. I'll be the first to admit it. I need training. I'm 54 years old. I need training. I'm going to have ongoing training. We all need training. We all need to keep growing under discipline because we all sin. It's an ongoing process. You can't get around it. The moment you say, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want this, you're out of fellowship with the Lord. You're not humbling yourself before him. It's not about what you want. Amen? I mean, we, we, we want things, but when it comes right down to it, those things are secondary to remaining obedient to the Father. Secondary. What work does Jesus need to do in your life to make you more fruitful? Ask yourself the question, does he need to do some minor pruning? Or more than that? Do you think about that? What does he need to do? Minor pruning? Or more? With the knowledge that obedience to Jesus Christ keeps you fruitful, you can see now God working in your life of fruitfulness by showing the love of Christ to others. He chose you to do the work. The work is great. He chose you to do the work, but just do it with the right focus, the right attitude. He chose you to do the work. What an honor it is to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? It's an honor. It's a blessing. It's a privilege. I wish more people would express that. But that's exactly what it is. Go to John chapter 15.
John 15. We'll look at verses 9 through 14. says in verse 9, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands and remain, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Verse 11, I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Now, understand something before I finish this up. In order for you to understand with full gravity this whole thing about working with the Lord and the whole thing about obedience, you have to get a picture, a capture, God's will and purpose for everyone, for all of humanity. That's what you need to see in this. When you truly understand what God is trying to accomplish, reaching every non-believer with a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that's where the joy comes in. That's where the gratification comes in. When you are truly doing the work for the kingdom and knowing that God is working throughout this whole process. That's the end game. That's what he wants you to see here. This is my command in verse 12. Love one another as I have loved you. Everybody who sees you should see love. Love. Non-believers, people who are gay, people who are violent, people who are murderers, people who sin, they should only see love. Coming from you. No one has greater love than this, that that someone would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. You can't begin to have that kind of love for others, but yet he tells us love. Love anyway. When you understand this, when you understand that you're doing service and work for others, to others, the love of Christ should be firmly embedded in everything that you do. From cleaning the bathrooms, mopping the floors, checking in food, pushing around a shopping cart, helping people to their feet, loading groceries in the car, All those things should be done in love. Love and compassion. You are my friends if you do, this is the final verse, you are my friends if you do what I commanded you to do. And part of that command is being obedient to his word. Obedience. Obedience. When you're obedient to his word, that's when you're fruitful. That's when you're making an impact in the kingdom. That's when God is being glorified at the greatest possible opportunities. 
It's not just about you showing up. I'm going to do my duty. I'm going to give my time. That's my attitude. I'm going to do what I have to do. And I'm going to move on with it. God doesn't need that. Doesn't need that attitude. Then you are missing the entire picture about what God would have you to do. Your work can be fruitful when you're obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the only time it can be fruitful. Amen? I hope you understand where this whole thing was coming from. About, yeah, you can do the work. You can do things. You can serve. But just make sure you're doing so with the understanding of reverence, humility, working in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, being obedient to Jesus Christ. That's where the fruit can be done for the kingdom. Amen? Father, we just thank you for the lessons that you give us about how we want, you want us to see more about the value of a relationship with you. Even when we're called to do the work. We thank you for your love.